Welcome to the World Nomads podcast, delivered by World Nomads, the travel lifestyle and insurance brand. It's not your usual travel podcast. It's everything for the adventurous, independent traveller. Thanks for hitting play on this episode of the World Nomads podcast, looking at festivals, which are often the inspiration, Phil, for travel. Yeah, you can plan an entire trip around visiting different different festivals or stumble across the smaller or lesser-known festivals while you're already travelling. And, you know, there are thousands to be found out there. Here's just a few. There's a mud festival... Burning Man, of course, we've all heard about that one. I'd love to do Burning Man. Sounds good. I'm thinking I'm a bit old for it. Though, anyway. <laughs> Never. We'll touch on that in this all episode right, well, too. I'll, I'll keep my kit on then. I <laughs> think. Uh, Chinese New Year, which is all over the world. Mardi Gras. Uh, there's ice and snow festivals. Carnival in Rio, of course, very famous. Wooden boat festivals. Day of the Dead in Mexico. Holy in India. Lantern festivals. Beer festivals. The list goes on. Literally a festival for everything. We're going to be touching on a few others in this special episode of the World Nomads podcast. And we'll kick off with Jackie, who lives in South America. And she's been to a couple of festivals there, including the Teatro Iberoamericano. Yep, you can do it again when we chat to her. It's a 17-day, every two-year festival, performing arts, in fact. And the most important theatre companies from five continents go to that. And the Carnival of Barranquilla. How was that? Barranquilla. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, they celebrate Colombia's music, art, dance and legends. (laughs) It's the second biggest carnival in the world outside of Rio. But the good thing is it still has all the colour and movement, but without the tourists. Exactly. Um... When I went, it was, yeah, I mean, I saw tourists, but it's, it's such a, I mean, the whole of the coast is in, is in carnival mood, I, I think right now. I mean, in, in one month, it'll be this, this year's carnival. And I think from the beginning of the year, everybody literally gets into the mood. And so when you go to the carnival as a, as a tourist, the kind of tourist feel almost disappears amongst the, like, just the, the craziness of it, the, all the costumes, everybody on the streets. It's just this, yeah, it's a very anti-tourist um, environment. But obviously, if you can get into, if you can, if you do have a friend um, who is a local, your experience will be much better because you'll be able to go into places where tourists, they have no idea, exist. Well, that's the problem with Rio Carnival. Uh, around Mardi Gras time because it's so huge that you have to book tickets into the into the Samba Drome or getting to actually see something can be quite difficult. Well, with this one, what's a good option is actually if you stay in, in Santa Marta, which is a city just an hour and a half from Barranquilla, and you can go uh, to the carnival for the day and the night and then go back <laughs> the next morning. It starts on a Saturday and it goes until Tuesday, and every single day there's different kind of parade. Um, some are maybe more traditional, other ones are maybe more folkloric or, you know, they all have their own themes. I take it it's neighbourhoods versus neighbourhood in a massive dance-off. Is it the same structure? Exactly, yeah. It's, like I said before, it's the whole, it's every local, they all get involved and, yeah, they do have small uh, neighbourhood competitions. Each neighbourhood will build a float or have a float or a, a competition between themselves or they'll create a, a, a compasa which is the name for the group of people who do the specific um dance or yep. or music and yeah so between the neighborhoods they do have little competitions 
And, and then, you know, whoever's won the local dance-off gets to go in the parade or is it a free-for-all in the parade? Anybody can go. Um, no, it's quite organised. Um, like in actual official parades, um, you have to sign up and register. You have to have a certain degree of, you know, like the actual float has to be quite good. You know, it can't just be something you made in your backyard um, because it can be, yeah, like the floats can be incredibly um, elaborate. The costumes can be incredible, like Rio or, or the masks or the actual dance choreographies can be also quite uh, complicated. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of planning and organizing behind each of the, the groups. You're not going to miss out on the spectacle by going to Barranquilla instead of going to Rio. It's just as good. Is that what you're saying to us? I think so. I mean, I'm, to be honest, I've never been to Rio, so I can't um, compare. But I think if you're just looking for a wonderful, crazy, colourful experience of, of a culture who's basically just expressing themselves to the max, um, yeah. the carnival of, it's fine. It's, it's good enough. <laughs> it must be good because UNESCO have recognised it as an intangible cultural heritage of humanity. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's incredible to see that, that diversity because if you look at every, if you look at, at the parade and all the floats and the costumes and the dances, you can trace back the origin if it's African, Indigenous or uh, European. Um, there's a very, very traditional African dance. It's called uh, Mapale, and it's uh, it was brought over by uh, the slaves when they were brought over. And it's incredible how um, that musical, that the music and dance has survived all these centuries. And it's great that finally they're able to to express themselves as I, I'm an African descendant. And so I can see why that's to be UNESCO because it just is this amazing mix of all of the colourful cultures that make up um, Colombia. All right, let's get to the second one. Uh, it's a 17-day festival and it is called? <laughs> Ibero-Americano. Ibero now nah, I've lost it. Ibero-Americano Festival. How's that? It's it is perfect. a tongue twister. It's a tongue twister. <laughs> it is. Tell us about this one. It's every two years. It's 17 days, which is quite long for a festival. Um, and it's, it's about theatre and some of the, the world's most important theatre companies come from around the world to join in on this. You must see some, some great work. Exactly. Yeah, it happens yeah, every two years and uh, the next one will be in 2020. And yeah, for, for 17 days, it sounds long, but it actually it can go quite fast because there are about almost, I think every year, maybe 300 companies come from around the world and you can enjoy the street theatre, there's music concerts, there's classical dance, there's uh, children and youth theatre, there's circus acts, um, storytelling, there's any kind of a performance that relates to theatre is, is on show. And what's really nice is that um, the festival is um, uh, subsidised by the government. And so a lot of the performances that take place inside actual theatres, uh, the actual tickets are not too expensive, which is really great because the actual point of the festival is to bring the theatre and the art to people who wouldn't otherwise and go and enjoy theatre. And what's so nice is that the first or second week falls in Semana Santa, which is the, 
which is Holy Week, which is a national week of holiday here. And so many people have that week off. And so they can go and enjoy theatre. Colombia itself is just really, I mean, it's been a few years now, but tourism and travel to, to Colombia is just booming, isn't it? Completely. I mean, every year, uh, every time I look at the news, there's the percentage of tourists are going up. I think last year, it was like 2 million people came as up from, you know, like the 10,000 that came 10 years ago. And it's fantastic because especially here in Bogota, they really are bringing more culture to the city because there's so much to do here. And it's, it's especially here in Bogota, many people, they just pass through going to the coffee zone or to the coast, but there's actually a lot of things to do here that, yeah, you actually have to dig a little bit to see it. Do you think uh, Bogota is like that because it's not sort of hot, um, you know, South American destination. It's quite a cool and rainy town. Do you think that helps with the, uh, with the, with the cultural aspect? I think so. Um, I mean, in, on the coast, um, I lived on the coast for many years and they have their, cultural events but yeah i feel like here in bogota there's just there's so many more influences you've got a lot more internationally you have more international people live in bogota compared to the coast the weather i think does play a part but i also think just because it's a capital city and everything comes here first and then goes to the rest of the country Thanks, Jackie. Links to those festivals in show notes. Now, still to come, Gary and the festival that he went to in North Korea. It's hard to believe your own eyes what you're watching. Five-year-olds on unicycles, 20,000 people in absolute synchronicity, making a flower move from one side of a, of a 20,000-seat stand to the other side, like almost like a like a moving billboard. It blows your mind. It's like I've never seen anything like this before in my life. Yeah. And he also gives a really great insight in general into visiting North Korea. And uh, we also decided to check with Joe, who World Nomad sent off to four festivals around the world for a series of videos. And then there's this, the Avocado and Margarita Festival here in Morrow Bay. Guac and chips, actually a really good combination. Now, though, how do you find out about what festivals are on and where? Well, let's check in with Ollie to tell us about his website, Rad Season. Sure, so Rad Season is the world's first one-stop shop for action sports, adventure events and music festivals. Well, that sums it up. How would you come up with the idea? Uh, so I was away in uh, South America. I was on my, on my honeymoon. I was basically trying to find... Uh, a website that had different sort of action sports events and music festivals all in one place and I couldn't, couldn't really find one so yeah, decided to uh, when I came back from my honeymoon to, um, to put it together and um, yeah two years later here we are. What attracts people to festivals? You, you are possibly the best person to, to ask. You live and breathe it and it's your business, your bread and butter. Uh, I say I mean the, the most like the, the thing that that comes to my mind is, is the experience. I mean, it's like, it's all about the experience. So, um, especially nowadays people are, um, yeah, I guess millennials are sort of thinking, uh, what, what their next adventure is going to be instead of what, what they can acquire and becomes less about things and just sort of gaining a, a memory bank of, um, amazing adventures. I, I know you mentioned millennials, but it's not just that particular generation. Absolutely. Um, so I mean, we like, 
even on our site, I get everyone from sort of 18 year olds who are, um, are looking to go backpacking through to people in their 60s and 70s who are looking to yeah, go away and enjoy, um, just enjoy a festival on the weekend or go off for a couple of months. So yeah, it's, it's everybody. It's not, it, it's not just the millennial. Do you reckon there are more festivals than there used to be? Is it sort of a growing industry? I don't know. I mean, there's definitely more sort of niche events and a lot of things have become more, more accessible and more popular just to the internet. So some things, I mean, festivals have been going on for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, cultural events around religion um, and uh, yeah now it's sort of it's just opened up where people can uh, from from all over the world can, um, can enjoy these type of events. So you mentioned the the niche events can you touch on some of those lesser known festivals that perhaps should be on everyone's radar? I guess uh, from a sort of cultural um, standpoint there's there, there's quite a few uh, I mean so thinking, um, thinking about all the events that happen happen in Europe. There's a great fight festival in Spain, um, Cacasa Moros Festival, also um, in Spain and Granada, um, where everyone is covered in olive oil and running through the streets streets of Granada, which is pretty crazy. Like there's there's a bit of a mixture, and it's sort of depending on what you're interested in. There's normally like there's normally something going on. Songkran Water Festival. In, in Thailand, yeah, I mean, that's just, it's a crazy water pistol fight where everyone from uh, four-year-olds to 80-year-olds are in the streets with, um, with water pistols and buckets of water spraying each other. What makes a good festival then, whether it be cheese rolling or throwing tomatoes or music? For me, it's definitely the atmosphere. So if the event organisers tailor the event, to to what the audience is looking for if it's in a good location uh and just the whole general vibe of of the event some of them if they're a bit um a bit off um, off the cuff um they can work out but yeah i mean if if it is organized properly especially if it's a multi-day event um then yeah just having the logistics sorted out running smoothly definitely helps i tell you what it'd be remiss of us if we didn't touch on this while we have someone like you on the line and it's currently in um not really headlines but um it's doing the rounds around the world at the moment is the doco on the fire festival yes it was a total wipeout. Did, did, have you got any insight into that? If you talk about festivals that are poorly organised, I reckon that one. Too. Yeah, I mean that is sort of, I guess, a next level scam of yeah. When you hear about all these events and buying and buying fake tickets, um, I even managed to yeah first day in, in New York a couple of years ago and um, bought a ticket for a Fourth of July event. Um, on online thinking it was a legit ticket and yeah rocked up at the event and it it was it was a fake one so uh, yeah that was kind of basically this but on a, on a mass on a massive scale wow um, well that's uh, what 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 this guy did to actually recoup a lot of the money that he owed was to send out these scammy um, events and sell tickets to people like yourself and then take the money and not deliver. Yeah. What are some good tips to pretty pretty fortunate. Just general ones for festival goers so that they're they're prepared generally. Um I'd say stay hydrated and yeah bring a smile would be another one. So if you're gonna be somewhere in completely different culture then yeah always 
Always smile and, and be open to, um, to, uh, to a new experience. Yeah, a smile goes a very long way indeed. We're chatting to Gary about a story that he wrote for World Nomads and when we were going back and forth with emails to set the chat up, Basically, I said to Gary, I just want to know, how did you get into North Korea, let alone go to a festival there? And I answered, essentially, like all tourists who have been to North Korea, you have to go with a guide. You have to go with a tour group. And most of them are based out of China in Beijing. I knew I was going to be in Asia, traveling around Asia. And I thought I'd, I'd, I was really intrigued by North Korea. I wanted to visit. And it was actually, it was it was difficult because I had a few different Issues of my own personal situation in terms of being a journalist. But yeah, yeah I was going to ask about that. It's like the old days behind the, going behind the Iron Curtain in Moscow. They wouldn't take mm-hmm. kindly to you admitting you're a journalist, I take it. Yeah, I mean, I deliberately didn't mention the, the two group I went with because it could potentially come back to bite them. Um, they were aware that I was a journalist. I told them I was, I was opening up front from the start. I said, look, I, I'm a sports journalist actually by trade. I have no intention of writing anything from my trip to North Korea. I don't intend to write anything political, nothing at all. The, the group, um, they said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll apply for you as if you're a student, uh, which is what we did. And I went there as a student, but in my passport, I have a corresponding visa. I'm pretty sure they knew I was a journalist and it wasn't a major issue. So they just they just put a couple of extra spies on you, mate, that's all? Well... Funnily enough, and I don't know if I should be if I should be really saying this or not, but when I came off the plane, I got on the bus, the two bus with the, the rest of the, of the group. There was about twenty of us, I think, in total. Um, and I, I sat down on the on, on the bus next to the window at the window seat to get the best view of the city. And um, a North Korean, one of the guides, came and sat next to me. And I thought, wow, here we go, my first North Korean. And I'm so lucky he sat next to me. I'm going to speak to him and find out his views on the country, etc. So I asked, one of the first questions I asked him was, so what do you do here? What do you do in North Korea? What's your role? And he said, um, my role is to find secret journalists. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, they're really good at his job or he's really bad at his job. <laughs> so tell us then what, you went to a, a, a festival. These things are really famous. I mean, we've all seen the f- massive crowds of people and all the flashcards and stuff. That's what you went to see, right? Exactly, yeah. So it's called the, the the Mass Games. When I was there, it was the Arirang Mass Games. Last year they changed. It stopped for five years and then last year it came back under a different name. It's now called Glorious Fatherland. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's like you said, it's 20,000 Korean students with flashcards flipping them, books of 170 cards, and they're flipping them in, in all in sync to make pictures in the stand. And they do it in, so perfectly that the, the picture actually moves, and so it's like a video. It's just, it's incredible. It's mind-blowing. Oh, I, I could imagine the precision that they would do that with would be just on point. It would be incredible to see. And at the yeah. same time, you've got dancers and performers uh, in the exactly. the stadium. Yeah, you've got another eighty thousand on on natural field what? dancing and doing theatre. And as I say in the story, you've got kids who are five years old skipping rope while riding unicycles. It's just surreal. <laughs> They're training for six months almost daily. There's a very good documentary. It was made in two thousand four. Um, it's called A State of Mind. It follows two of the young girls who are training to take part. Like I say, day, daily training, hours of training, um, acrobatics, gymnastics, etc. 
and they have to be absolutely perfect with the timing. I'd be interested to know, to know if you had any indication of what part of society the participants were from. Did it appear to you that they were the, you know, like normal country folk or was that part of the elite? Any idea? I think almost all, especially for certain, the majority would be from Pyongyang and they'd be from the working to middle class of, of Pyongyang, so citizens rather than from the rural areas. How did you manage the ethical dilemma in, in your own mind? I mean, I, I did some reading and I watched some video documentaries before going. And obviously, these are things you have to consider when, when you're deciding where you're going to travel. But I, I just, the curiosity really got the better of me. I thought, nobody, do people, there's just so, there's so much people don't know about the country. I mean, it's, it's a very secretive country. Not much information really comes out of the country. Not many people get to go there. And I thought, I've got the opportunity to go here and see something with my own eyes. Whether what I see is the truth or whether it's just what they want me to see. Did um, you get, yeah, but did you get an indication of that? I mean, you were obviously very heavily managed, yes? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, from the moment I arrived, it just I, I write in the story again. It, it feels like the Truman Show. It feels like everything's made for you. You're walking along the street or you're, you're on the bus and you see someone walking along the street and you're thinking in your head, Where's that person going? Are they? Why are they walking? Are they walking somewhere? Or are they just walking so that this bus passes them and it looks like they're walking somewhere? You go on the met. They, should, they take you down to see the metro stop, and you get on and you go to the next stop and you get off, and they say, "Oh, there's 14 or 16 stops of this metro," and you think, "But is there really? Or is there only two? And they just it's just these two? You just you become super cynical about everything. You can. It's almost like you can't trust your own eyes. The best example that I can think of is there's a there's massive statues of Kim Il-sung and, and Kim Jong-il. And the only way you can visit them is if you take flowers to lay at their feet. So we were in this park. We were given five, ten minutes to kind of walk around the park and take some photos. And it was the only time, really, we were free of the guide. You could walk around by yourself. And at the end of this five, ten minutes, we came back and the guide said, OK, now we're going to go and see the statues. Um, but we're going to have to buy some flowers. And I'm looking around and I'm thinking, where on earth are we going to buy these flowers? There's no, there's no shops. In the shops there are, they don't have signs. There's no there's no adverts. There's nothing to indicate there's a shop there selling flowers. So I'm thinking, where am I going to get these flowers? And then just by complete coincidence, a woman walks around the corner with bouquets of flowers for sale. <laughs> <laughs> that is so Truman Show, isn't it? Beautifully yeah. described. So, so it's it's ninety minutes of acrobatics and theatre and song and and dance, but there's zero competition involved. Exactly. I mean, there's there's very uh, tough competition before you get to the games. So all the all the children who are training, they all want to be selected for the games, and it's they all feel massive pressure, and it's very competitive among them. But for us as as spectators, there's nothing, there's no competitive edge for us to watch. To you're not rooting for one against the other or anything like that. No. What were you feeling while you were watching it? I mean, obviously, it's just spectacular. I I went I went back and watched some videos that I'd, I'd made when I was there, and uh, the funny thing is, you can you can hear me in the background almost talking to myself in disbelief. I'm like, oh what? No, no stop. That's just incredible. It, like I say, it's it's hard to believe your own eyes what you're watching. Five-year-olds on unicycles, 20,000 people in absolute synchronicity making a flower move from one side of a, of a 20,000-seat stand to the other side, like almost like a, like a moving billboard. It's just 
it blows your mind. It's like I've never seen anything like this before in my life. An amazing experience, Gary, the story in show notes. But time to chat with Joe, who World Nomad sent off to four festivals around the world. So we're in Notting Hill at the moment. It's bank holiday. The streets of Notting Hill are deserted. It can only mean one thing, and that's Carnival is about to start. All around Notting Hill here, you can see people preparing. You can see the barricades going up on the streets. But one other thing you also see is people boarding up their shop fronts. Once they go up, some street graffiti artists move in and they paint the buggery out of it. Okay, so we're here in Virginia. We're just taking a little drive down Route 66 and we took a turn somewhere between the Blue Ridge Mountains and the Shenandoah River. And we've ended up here at the Appaloosa Roots Music Festival. We did it the first year, kind of like by the seat of our pants. 3,500 people showed up, and then every year it's making it's, making its own identity. It's all goodwill, it's all donation, and uh, we don't have big investors. It's just a band trying to start something, and I don't know, it's been pretty amazing. So all around the world, festivals are held in celebration of many different things. Religion, music, world cultures, and then there's this, the Avocado and Margarita Festival here in Morrow Bay. Yeah, sounds like heaps of fun. And Joe, I'm guessing they were. Oh, they were. They were. They were cracking. Like, I, 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 it was a whirlwind for me. Uh, you know, we started off going to Notting Hill for the Carnival. It's billed as the you know the biggest street party in Europe. Um, so if you can imagine two million people just filling the streets of Notting Hill for this incredible you know show that's just a feast for the senses i mean you've got these dancers in the street you've got big bass sound systems and uh it's it's just huge and food everywhere i actually have been to that one and i have a confession to make i sort of mucked it up got off at the local tube station and started walking around and as you were saying there was lots of food being cooked there were all these sound systems out the front of people's houses massive street parties we'd got there about i don't know about 10 o'clock in the morning 10 o'clock at night the person i'm traveling with we go um you know we're pretty tired now i think we've done it pretty well but we'll just walk up the top of this hill and see if we can find a tube station to get back to where we were staying we get to the top of the hill and we're looking down into notting hill we had hadn't even been in (laughs) and there Uh, below us was like another million and a half people and we go oh it looks looks as though we're gonna get so we just you know girded our loins and went back in again and stayed for another few hours. And Wow. So you were actually on the outskirts of yep. Notting Hill somewhere and it was still, was it, was it still big enough to warrant being the biggest street festival in Europe? Well, I thought so until I saw the real one. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, the newbies Notting Hill Festival out on the edge where I was. <laughs> Look, one thing that about Notting Hill that uh, really stood out for me that, you know, it, we do touch on in the video, but I really wanted to really make sure that everyone sees is the fact that, you know, there's, there's such historical significance to this festival. It goes all the way back to... I think it was uh, 1965, 66, that, and it originally started as, as, a, as a peace march, you know, as, and they really, really wanted to push the fact that this, um, it's more relevant now 
uh, just as relevant as it was back then. And what a great way to make that point as well. You can go and have a riot or you can have a party. And they do. They have a hell of a party. It's you, you, at the end of the day, um, Phil, I don't know if it was like that for you, but at the end of the day, you just get back to home or even if you do make it home and you just lie back and you go, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> that was huge. My body was still vibrating and shaking. All of my bones were just finding their places again after being smashed by base systems all day. Smashed by base systems there, but then in Spain at Tomatina, you were smashed by tomatoes. That just looks like a crazy, crazy festival. And you, you thought after an hour you might be bored. I, I did because when I went, when we, uh, when we were gearing up, getting ready for the Tomatina and, um, you know, we got the rundown of the rules, you know, obviously not allowed to throw a tomato, you know, above the, I think the, the shoulder blades or something. I might've got that wrong. Um, and, uh, you've got to squash the tomato first. So it got run down of the rules. And then when I saw, you know, it goes for an hour, I went, hang on an hour. That's not very long at all. I'll probably be twiddling my thumbs for a while after that, but really an hour is all you need for that festival, I'm telling you. It's, it's, it's insane. That narrow, narrow street that you're all on there in Bunyol, I, I had to see that. Like that was one of the burning things in my you know, mind that I had to see for my own eyes how so many people could fit into that tiny street. And it was tiny. We visited it the day beforehand. And it was small. And so how are you going to get six trucks full of tomatoes through these packed streets? But it, it works. It happens so effortlessly. And the fun is just out of this world. Jumping in the river at the end was probably the most beautiful feeling I've ever had. It was, it was insane. So you left the UK and Europe and then you went across to America and to the Appaloosa Music Festival in Virginia. Now, speaking of numbers, was this a huge one? This wasn't a huge one. This was actually quite a... This was in stark contrast to both of those two festivals. It was, it was a really small little country town festival. And what type of music? What, what are we hearing? Well, this was predominantly uh, roots music, uh, bluegrass, country music. Um, yeah, a lot of feel-good music. For, especially it, it just fit in perfectly for the landscape there. It was in, uh, in amongst the, um, the Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River of West Virginia. That's right. It sounds like a song, doesn't it? It's John Denver. There you fun- go. Funnily enough, if you uh, shoot that name around uh, where we were in Front Royal, I kept you know, saying to a lot of the locals, oh, I didn't want to seem too touristy, but my Australian accent sort of gave it away. Um, that, um, you know, what is, um, you know, what do you guys think of John Denver? What's the story of it? How did, when was he here? When did he write the song? And a lot of them, uh, turn their nose up to him saying, oh, he didn't even come here. He didn't even come here. He hasn't even been here. He doesn't even know what the place looks like. So I don't know if there's much truth to that, but um, that was the story going around. But um, the beautiful thing about this festival was that um, because it was relatively small um, and we turned up to, um, to go to this festival and document the festival, uh, people like the, um, not just um, the event organiser, his name was Dan, uh, who actually uh, was in one of the, the bands there, 
um, he, they, they just couldn't believe it, you know. How did you guys hear about our little festival? And I kept saying it. How'd you, why are you guys here? You've come all the way from Australia for this. Wait, oh, why are you here? Why are you here? And so that, to me, was just so nice. I thought, righto, here we are. We're in a, we're, we're really in a, a real small time festival here. That, and it was great. This festival speaks to me. Margarita and Avocado Festival in Morrow Bay. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. How's that combination? They, you know, it's a marriage that was just perfect. Um, yeah, this festival was really cool. Um, the it's, you know, it started out because you know these avocado farmers, and we met one in particular. His name was Frank. They were quite fed up with the fact that they had these gorgeous avocados and. Um, most of um, a lot of America's avocados at that point had come from uh, overseas, um, so they were outsourcing all of their avos, and they had all these gorgeous avocados just sitting on these trees in in um, in California, um, and so they decided to celebrate them by throwing a little festival and. They thought, well, we can't just get people in with just avocados. What can we do? Ah, margaritas, <laughs> perfect. So they threw on these. They threw. They started this festival that is just uh, getting bigger and bigger every year. It's it's perfect. They get to you know really promote their beautiful product in this gorgeous, picturesque town of Morro Bay. It's uh, you've got. I, I can't even put into words just how peaceful and beautiful it is you've got this massive huge rock just off the uh just off the coast uh that just overlooks the whole town and this festival is is just amazing you've you've got avocados of all kinds of you know everywhere different varieties you've got your hash you've got your reeds you've got all these other ones i haven't even heard of but then all your food vendors you know there's it's amazing how many uh, food vendors were there doing different things with avocados. To watch those videos, go to youtube.com forward slash world nomads TV. Any festivals still on your radar, Phil, apart from Burning Man? Uh, yeah, look, I know the Exit Festival in Serbia is a pretty amazing thing. They have a whole series of them all over uh, that part of Europe now as well, including one based around, uh, it's a music festival, but it's in Croatia, so it's a, uh, it's called the Sea Festival. Yeah. So it sounds fantastic. Croatia, music festival, summertime, what could go wrong? Yeah, just keep your kid on. Um, <laughs> I will. Day of the Dead in Mexico takes my fancy. Anything Mexican takes my fancy. Fair enough too. It looks fantastic. Well, it's, it sounds macabre, doesn't it? Because it's family and friends who are um, celebrating mourning the loss of their family and friends. But it's super colourful, lots of dance, lots of food, um, altars, lots of colour and movement. A lot of emotion at the beginning and then a big party at the end. That's how I'd like my funeral to be. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> Next episode is all about Mexico. Until then, you can download the episodes from iTunes or the Google Podcast app or ask Alexa and Google Home to play the World Nomads podcast. Oh, i tell you what we do have to add. We do have to add this. This information is only a brief summary. Read the full policy wording very carefully. Visit worldnomads.com. That's all you need to do. It's general advice and it may not be right for you.
why we played that disclaimer, we need to clarify, it's because we don't cover travel to North Korea. I just want to thank Road, who have uh, very generously donated some new recording equipment for us, the Roadcaster Pro, which we are recording this episode on for the very first time. So <laughs> if it sounds a bit different, if it sounds better, let yeah, us know. <laughs> thumbs up. Any questions, any festivals you want to share with us? Podcast at worldnomads.com. See ya. The World Nomads Podcast. Explore your boundaries.